Welcome, Valley family. We are picking up this series that we're actually in in September uh, called America. Uh, many of you will remember we, we talked about how to avoid election infection. We had three messages in that series. Uh, and I felt like, uh, especially being out of town during the election, uh, that it would be important to kind of pick it up once again. So this is part four in that series uh, about America, what if America could be different. And I just want to quickly remind everybody uh, of some of the first points, the four points of that first message uh, that was called Purple Rain. And, and, and maybe you remember these. You could check it out on your app. Uh, I, I really encourage you maybe to go back and listen to the whole series. I think many of us, it'll sound a lot different now uh, than perhaps it did when we first heard it. But God's word hadn't changed. What's changed is our circumstances. And and we always want to make sure our circumstances don't dictate our opinions to us, but that God's word does. So I encourage you to go back and and look at that series uh, because we felt like really uh, as a pastoral staff, we wanted to do all we could to help people avoid election infection. And yet it seems like many Christians in our country have actually succumbed to election infection. And so uh, we're hoping that this message is going to be the pound of cure. Uh, We attempted the ounce of prevention back in September. Uh, But before we jump in, Uh, to the message right now. I'm just going to ask, would you join me right now and bow your heads in prayer? Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, we recognize we need to hear from you. And Lord, I pray now that that when we leave this place, when our time's finished, that that no one would leave here saying, "What what a great sermon, what a great church, what a great pastor. But God, that when we leave here today, we would all know today we've heard from God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Four points in that first message, questions were in the form of a question. Here was the first one that I encouraged the church family to ask themselves, am I too busy trying to make a point instead of making a difference? Am I too busy trying to make a point instead of making a difference? The second question I encourage the church family to ask back in September is, am I forming my opinions from government legislation, culture, family, or from scripture? Where am I forming my opinions from? Is it from outside sources or is it from opening up God's word and letting God's word speak into my heart and my life? The fourth question that that I encourage the church family to ask themselves, and by the way, every single one of these is based on Scripture. You can look up the outline in the Scriptures that correlate with every one of these questions. Am I loving people the way that Jesus Christ commanded me to? And that means all people, not just certain people, not those that agree with me, not those that look like me or anything like that. Am I loving people the way that Jesus commanded me to? And then the fourth question that I encouraged the whole church family to ask themselves was this, am I praying for my leaders the way that God instructed me to? Am I praying for my leaders the way that God instructed me to? Now I know chances are those four questions sound different today, don't they? Than they did back in September. Because back in September, every one of us thought that our person was gonna win. But now it's been decided, hasn't it? And we were in uh, Dallas, Texas last week, and Susie and I actually did absentee ballots, and uh, we were at a congress of Christian leaders from all over the world. Forty-four nations were represented in that congress. And and people kept asking us, what is going to happen in your church? What's your church? And and, uh, 
The best way I could answer it on Monday when we, when we flew in, uh, we were on the shuttle going to the hotel with a couple from the Netherlands. And they asked, you know, where are you from? We said, United States, whereabouts? New York. And they're like, ooh, New York. How's your church going to handle it depending on who wins? And, and I said, here's it. Half the people are going to be happy. Half the people are going to be upset. No matter who wins. That's just the way it's going to be. And, and, and I think that's probably somewhat close to the truth. And, and let me just say this as we start out. If you were popping champagne on Tuesday night of the election, I think you're wrong. In fact, I think it's sin. At the same time, on Wednesday morning, if you had a hard time getting out of bed because the sky was falling, I think you're wrong. And I think it's sin. Because both those two extremes put more hope on who's in the White House than who is on the throne of heaven. And that's Jesus Christ. And he's not moving. And our hope cannot be based on who is or who is not in the White House. And so what I want to look at in our time together is really how are we going to really heal this infection? Only God can save America. No man, no woman, no political party can save our nation. Only God can do that. And the problem with the United States is the Christians in the United States. The problem's us. And the scripture makes that really, really clear as well, as we'll look at in our time together. First of all, let me say this. A lot of people say the Bible, you know, why, we shouldn't get political in the church. There's only one problem with that, the Bible. The Bible is one of the most political books that's ever been written. In fact, let me, let me share with you one of the most inflammatory statements that's repeated over and over and over throughout Scripture about Jesus. One of the instances of the seven in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15 says, For at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and the, and the only almighty God. Watch this now. The King of kings and Lord of lords. Did you realize that's a political statement? Jesus is identified as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That means he's also the mayor of all mayors, the senator of all senators, the congressman of all congressmen, the president of all presidents. In Matthew chapter 28, we talked about this last week in our message, Jesus, before he ascended, returned to our Heavenly Father after his resurrection, he made this statement in Matthew 28, all power and authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. It all belongs to me, he said. Now, he's either a liar or he's telling the truth. And he says, all power and authority belongs to me, all of it. Not just some of it, not just on earth even, not just in heaven, all power and authority. This is a provocative political statement that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And as I said, it's mentioned seven times in the New Testament over and over. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Not only that, you could check this out on your own sometime, and I encourage you to check out your Bible app. All the information is going to be right there, all the scriptures, and you're going to want to look at it. We're going to look at a lot of scripture during our time together. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, it says this of Jesus, that on his robe it says, King of kings and Lord of lords, and also on his thigh. Did you know Jesus has got tattoos? Bible makes it clear. It's written on his robe and on his thigh. That doesn't mean it's on his 
underwear. It's, it's, he, it's tatted right there. And man, can you imagine a tat running down your thigh? King of kings, Lord of lords. Ouch. It seems like he's serious about this. I'm the king of kings. And I'm the Lord of lords. And we get so easily consumed with temporary and passing leaders in this nation. And Jesus is still on the throne. All summer long, we went through the book of Judges and we asked the question, who's on the throne of your heart? Can I just say this with with love and concern? If your emotions were too much to one extreme or the other, I think you should really ask who is on the throne of your heart? Who, Who really is in the center of your life? I'm very concerned that in the church today, in our United States, we have more American Christians than Christian Americans. And there's a huge difference between those two. One is, culturally, I'm an American, and I sprinkle on some Jesus as much as, you know, here or there. The other is, Jesus is my life. Jesus is my center. Jesus is my Lord. He's my master. And whatever he says, that's what I'm going to obey. I don't want to be an American Christian. I believe God's called me to be a Christian American. Because if this nation ceases to exist one day, and I ever see that day, my faith in Jesus Christ will never cease to exist. He was before this nation began, and he will be when this nation is folded up sometime. Even if it's at the end of time and he does it, he's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of Lords. Where's your hope? Where's your hope? Where's your hope? 1 Timothy chapter 2, one of the verses that we look back on in September 11th, and I just want to look at it again. 1 Timothy chapter 2, the scripture tells us this, I urge you first of all to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Watch this now. I had them highlight it. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. That's what God is after for his people, that we would live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. And we're charged by scripture to pray for all kings and all who are in authority. Let me give you a little context here so we understand this. This wasn't written because an election had happened. The context, uh, first, second Timothy, also the book of Romans, we're gonna look at Romans in a minute. The backdrop of that was under the reign of Caesar Nero who unleashed the most brutal persecution of Christians known to man. That's the context of this passage. Caesar, who would take men, women, and children, throw them into the arena in Rome, and for sport, watch them torn to shreds by lions. Caesar, who would light Christians on fire so that he had light in his garden at night. The scripture says, pray for him. Pray for him. Pray for him and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. 
Have you prayed for President Obama? It's your job as a follower of Jesus Christ to pray for him. Have you prayed for President-elect Trump? It's your job as a follower of Jesus Christ. Have you prayed for Governor Cuomo? It's your job. It's what God expects of you because you named Jesus Christ as your Savior. See, the problem in this country is not the political system. The problem in this nation are Christians because we're not being who God wants us to be. Whether you voted for him or not, we as Christians have an opportunity and an obligation to pray for our next president. And, and I wrote this message in such a way that every four years I can pull it out again. Because it's not specific. It's, it's what the Bible says. It's not specific to whoever is the president. It's what the Bible says. And, and every passage, this would include, this is only 2,000 years old. We're going to look at some passages tonight. 5,000 years ago, God has said, this is what I expect of my people. 5,000 years ago, our nation didn't even exist. And Christian church was being just ground to powder underneath Roman chariots. And yet, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit speaks through Scripture and says, this is what I expect of followers of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus put it this way. This is red letter stuff, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe you're here today and you think a certain group in the United States is your enemy. Jesus says you have to pray for them and you have to love them. You have no choice. Pray for them. Love your enemy. Don't love the people that agree with you. He goes on and you can read the whole context. He says, if you, if you love people who agree with you, you're no different than the pagans. You love your enemies. You, you, you pray for those who persecute you, who spitefully use you. You pray for them. And, and I'm so concerned as a pastor and as a Christian that we're so quick to say and we're so hesitant to actually pray. But God says, my people are supposed to pray. Jesus said, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So I want to share with you five scriptures, five scriptures to pray for our president-elect. Oh, and by the way, we should have been praying these all along. And, and, and I know over the last few years and, and the 23 years I've been the senior pastor of this church, those of you who've been with us on this ride for this long, over and over and over again, it doesn't matter if it's Democrat or Republican, I've gone back and said, we have to pray for our leaders. This is what the scripture tells us. Not, not if it's the one we voted for. It makes no difference to God whatsoever because no one got a vote back then. They all had to pray for Caesar. Pray for him. And you know why? Because it changes us. It changes how we talk. It changes how we act. It changes our perspective, and it also changes them as well. So five scriptures to pray for our president-elect. Here's the first one. Pray that he would be given wisdom and knowledge. Pray that, that God would give him wisdom and knowledge. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, it says, Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people. This is King Solomon praying this. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. We need to pray and say, God, 
We pray you give our current president, President Obama, wisdom and knowledge. And we pray for our president-elect, President Trump. We pray that you would give him wisdom and knowledge. The second thing that we need to pray for our president-elect is pray for his health and his safety. Pray for his health and his safety. In Ezra chapter 6, verse 10, by the way, this is under the Babylonian captivity in Israel. This is when Babylon came in, conquered Israel, and led them off into exile, into slavery for generations. Listen to what the prophet Ezra says during that time. God speaking through the prophet Ezra. Then they will be able to offer acceptable sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the welfare of kings and sons. They're saying pray. God is speaking through Ezra and says pray for wicked Nebuchadnezzar because it'll go better for you if you do. Pray for him and pray for his sons. Pray for his welfare and his safekeeping. Pray for him. Pray for his health and safety. I'm I'm too young to remember the assassination of President Kennedy, but I'm I'm old enough to remember when President Reagan was shot. And I remember this is, oh my gosh. There's a young man watching the news like, is our president going to live or die? I wasn't old enough to vote. But all I knew is he's our president. That there's nothing good that can come from this. We need to pray. We need to pray for our current president's health and safety. We need to pray for our president-elect's health and safety. Number three, we need to pray that he will execute justice for all. We, we need to pray that he will execute justice for all. And this is, this is mind-blowing to me. I want to read a passage from Romans. This is where the persecution was the most fired up and feverish because Nero blamed the Christians for setting Rome on fire. And it unleashed this horrific bloodbath of murder, uh, Christians that were murdered by the state. And listen to what God says through the Apostle Paul to the Christians in Rome who are literally seeing their children, their wives, fathers being murdered in the Colosseum. Romans 13 verse 4. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you're doing wrong, of course, you should be afraid. If you're doing wrong, you you should be afraid. For they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. It's mind-blowing. This is the backdrop of the Christian church, of the scripture, the New Testament. And God is saying that to, to the Christians in Rome that are, that are watching this happen. And you know what they did? They understood. And they really lived out what they were supposed to live out. And it turned the Roman Empire upside down in a little over another generation. Pray that he will execute justice for all people. As I said, I love this saying because I think it's so true. Reading the Bible can mess you up as a Christian. (laughs) Because so much of what we say is our Christian faith is totally cultural. And it's not based on the teachings of Scripture at all. Number four, pray that he will pursue peace and prosperity for America. Pray for our president now. Pray for a president-elect that he will pursue peace and prosperity for America. 
Jeremiah chapter 29. God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah. And listen to what he says. Jeremiah 29, 7. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city. Don't miss this now. Which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will prosper. I don't know how else to say this. Anyone hoping that President Trump fails is a fool. Is a fool. Anyone hoping that President Obama fails is a fool. Because of the impact on this nation. The stakes are much, much too high. We need to pray. Pray. That he will pursue peace and prosperity for America. And here's the fifth thing. We need to pray that President-elect Trump would do God's will. Would do God's will. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1, God speaks and it says of God, In the Lord's hands the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him. That God, God can take the heart of any leader, doesn't matter who it is or when, and completely redirect it. Just like a stream, waters of a stream. The Lord's hand, in the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards those who pleases him. And so these are five things that I believe we need to pray for President-elect Trump. There are also five things that, that, that we should be praying for President Obama. There, there are also five things that we should be praying for George W. Bush. There are also five things that we should be praying for every president. And so the question is this, are you doing what God expects? How do you measure up on this is what God's saying, this is what I expect from my people? Have you been praying like this? It's so very, very important. And I know with the, uh, with the election last Tuesday, I know that, that a lot of folks were very, very surprised. In fact, most folks were very surprised. It, it, it surprised the nation for the most part. And many people have been asking, what now? What, what, what do I do now? I, I want to take a kind of a, a little different approach now in the time remaining. And I want to share with you four actions for Christians after the election. We need to pray. In fact, in just a minute, we're going to pray as a church. But, but, but I think we also, there's some actions that we can real practically take to walk out being the people of God in the United States. Being not American Christians, but Christian Americans. Four actions for Christians after the election. Here's the first one. See this season as an opportunity, not an obstacle. We need to look right now at our nation and recognize this is an opportunity for us. It's not an obstacle. But we need to, to see it through the eyes of God. Remember, as we talked about that first week, because the reality is, as the scripture tells us in the New Testament, our citizenship is in heaven. It's in heaven as a follower of Jesus Christ. You can see these massive changes in the United States political landscape as an obstacle, or you can see it as an opportunity for the gospel, for, for God to do something really, really incredible. What if instead of the glass being half empty, what if it's half full? What if the great opportunity is to show your friends and your neighbors what it really means to live as a follower of Jesus Christ in the 21st century? What if it means we, 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 we're not going to talk the way everyone else talks? 
We're not going to engage in what everyone else engages. Because I don't know about you, but my Bible says we're wrestling not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, thrones and dominions, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. My Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. I don't have to use the things that everyone else uses because we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Our, our weapons, our tools are not the same as, as everyone else because we're followers of Christ. And he gives us spiritual power to make a difference. Let's not live like we don't know Christ. Let's live as if we are the children of God. See this as a season of opportunity and not an obstacle. Just remember this, no political party gave you your salvation. No political party gives you redemption and forgiveness in the eyes of God. Only one person can do that, and that's Jesus Christ. That's Jesus. Political solutions are always partial, half measures. They can never heal the human soul. This is the work of Jesus and his church, and it's an incredible opportunity that's right in front of us right now at this moment. So see this season as an opportunity, see this season as an opportunity, not as an obstacle. Here's the second action that we can take after the election. Be the church. Really be the church. The time has never been better for the church to actually be the church of Jesus Christ. Not a political action committee, not a mouthpiece for a political party, just to represent Jesus Christ on this planet. That's what he's called us to do. That's what he's called us to be. Which means what? That means that we bring love, that we bring hope, and we bring the truth of Jesus Christ everywhere we go. Because as the New Testament tells us, we are his ambassadors. How are you representing Jesus today? How are you representing Jesus as an ambassador of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be the church? That means we live authentic lives. That means we live grace-filled lives. That means we are hope bearers to those who have lost their hope. Are you bringing hope to people? The hope of Jesus Christ. You, you can't give someone what you don't have. We have to have our hope. And our hope is found in Jesus Christ, not in anyone else. We need to be the church. And what does that mean? That means that we go. We go into the world. The nation and the world needs us so much right now. Maybe that's what you can bring with you tomorrow when you go to work. Hope, compassion, love, perspective. Be the church. Here's the third action for Christians after the election. Cultivate friendship with someone different than you. Cultivate a friendship, a real friendship with someone who's different than you, someone who sees differently than you do politically. Let me ask you this question. Think about the last five gatherings around your dinner table. How many of those people think like you, talk like you, value what you value? It's human nature that we, we tend to gravitate towards people that think like us, act like us, look like us. But that's not the nature of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ gravitated to those that didn't think like him, that didn't act like him, that didn't see things the way that he saw them. He was counter-cultural, counter-intuitive. What, what, would, what would change overnight? Can you even imagine if every Christian decided, I'm going to cultivate a friendship with someone who's very, very different than I am? What would that change be like in our nation almost overnight? Instead of just gravitating to those that think the way that we think. Before you begin to think this is really, really scandalous, uh, by doing this, it'll put you in some really, really great company. Jesus spent a lot of time doing just this, cultivating friendships with people that were different than him. I I just refer you to Matthew chapter 9, verse 9 through 13, as he hung out with the, the tax collectors, the IRS, as he hung out with prostitutes, as he hung out with drunkards, as he hung out with the outcasts, not those that agreed with him, but those that disagreed with him, and they were changed because of his presence. Cultivate friendship with someone that's different than you. And here's the fourth thing that we can do, and I believe probably it's the most important. Start confessing. I think it's time that we start confessing our own sin. Listen, I don't, I don't pretend to know the Bible word for word, cover to cover, but, but I have given over three decades of my life to studying it intensely. That there's nothing that I have ever read that comes close to or remotely resembles anywhere in the Bible where we're told as followers of Christ to blame other people for anything to point the finger at anyone. What we're told over and over and over again is to take responsibility for the sin in our own heart, for our own sin, for our own shortcomings, and to own those things, and to be real about what's really going on inside of our hearts. Confession bridges the gap between blame and responsibility. Let me ask you a question. What can you confess today to God? What part of this can you own? Maybe it's just God. I have, I've been prayerless. I just haven't prayed. I, I've, I've said a lot of stuff, but I just haven't spent any time before you and praying the way you told me to pray all throughout your word for those who are in authority over me. Who is it that you've hurt? Who have you hurt by your political posts? Who have you alienated? Who have you pushed aside or pushed away because of your rhetoric at work? God sees that. God knows that. And that's below a follower of Jesus Christ to act that way if we name him as our Lord and Savior. Who is it that you really, really can't stand in our nation today? Who is it if they walked through the door right now, you'd have a real difficult time? Jesus said, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. I think it's time that we start confessing and instead of pointing the finger, we own what's really in our own hearts. Is Jesus on the throne of my heart 
or is it someone else? Am I trusting someone else to, to save this nation or am I looking to Jesus? I've talked to a lot of parents over the last week. Parents that are concerned about what their kids are watching. Parents that are concerned about their children mimicking politicians and imitating what they hear politicians say. Let me just say something, parents. Don't worry about it. Your kids are mimicking what you're saying. Your kids are following your example. If you're afraid, they'll be afraid. If you speak out against authority, guess who they're going to be speaking out against? You. The Bible says you sow what you reap. And you reap, I'm sorry, you reap what you sow. So many parents are worried about what they're seeing on TV and they don't realize I'm showing my children how to speak about authority, how to relate it to authority. And they'll follow your example. In fact, we're talking about this next week in the message as we pick up I Love My Church series and we're gonna talk about the future church. There is so much more that is caught than is taught when it comes to parenting children. Maybe it's time to have a family meeting. Maybe it's time for fathers to stand up and say, you know what, I haven't been leading this family in a way that Jesus Christ would be pleased with me. I've been saying things against the current president. I've been saying things against the president-elect that are sin and would grieve the heart of God. And I'm coming clean in front of my family and I'm asking you to forgive me and I've been wrong because it does not at all reflect the teachings of scripture that we say we live by. It's time to start confessing. When I confess my sin as a husband, as a father, as a leader, as a friend, everyone around me begins to heal. And it's the same for you. It, it, gives, it gives permission for those in the room as well. Well, you know what I need to as well. I was in a meeting with some leaders just, just a few days ago talking about the election actually. And someone right there in the meeting just said, I, I need to make a confession. And right there in the meeting just shared, my heart hadn't been right about this at all. You could feel the entire environment, the air in the room completely change. And I just want to come clean because I haven't lived as a Christian the way I should in response to what's been happening with this election. Amazing the change that God can bring. Imagine if 10,000 times over today, families, churches, communities, actually didn't just talk the talk like it's so easy to do, but we decided we're going to walk the walk of what God instructs us to do. And we began to take responsibility for the sin in our own heart, for, for, the, for the plank in our own eye instead of the speck in our brothers or sisters. The problem in the United States is not any political party Politicians reflect what's in the people. The problem in the United States is the church of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14, 
God says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, and if my people, not them out there, my people would turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land problem is not out there. The problem in this nation is in here because we have not been the people of God that God has instructed us to be. If we'll seek his face and we'll turn from our wicked ways, then he'll hear from heaven. He'll forgive our sin and he'll heal our land. Last scripture I want to leave you with is this. Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22. I, I just actually found this recently. A friend of mine that we ran into at the airport at Dallas that was a member of this church for over 10 years and moved away as we were talking to her. And she said, you know, pastor, we we're talking about the election. She said, you know what? This is what my church has just been thinking about, this verse. Look at it, Isaiah 33, verse 22. For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. It is he who saves us. Do you realize what that says right there? Watch this now. The Lord is our supreme court. The Lord is our Congress. The Lord is our president. It is the Lord who will save us. Not Donald Trump, not Hillary Clinton. Any type of trust that much put into them is misplaced and it's idolatry. God is the only one. He and he alone, no political party, no system, no, no list of ideals can save this nation. He is the one. He is the one. And so this is what I want to do right now. I, I want to take five minutes. And I think it's time for us to come clean as people of God. I, I think it's time for us to, to ask ourselves those questions that I shared with the church family the second week of September. And ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us, not, not my spouse, not, not the person next to me, but to answer those questions for me. God, am, am I too busy trying to make a point instead of making a difference? God, am I forming my opinions from government legislation, culture, family, or from scripture? God, am I loving people the way that Jesus commanded me to? unconditionally, whether they agree with me or not, whether they support my opinion or not, do I, do I love everyone the same or do I show favoritism? Am I praying for my leaders the way that God instructed me to? If the answer to any one of those questions is anything but an incredible 100% yes, 
we need forgiveness, folks. We need to ask God to forgive us. Because he said, if my people will turn from their wicked ways, if my people will do it, I'll heal their land. I'll hear from him and I'll hear their land. And so I've just asked Jess if she'll just continue to pray. And and I just want to ask you right now, just bow your heads. And let's just spend five minutes in prayer. Just five minutes. And just open in our hearts and saying, God, speak to me. Show me what's really inside. Show me where my trust is. And if the Holy Spirit says one thing, whatever he shows you, just just confess that to him and ask for forgiveness. And he'll hear. And he'll hear. So let's just take five minutes and I'll be back and, and then I'll close in prayer.
Father. Lord, we need you so much. Father, so many times we think we can see and we're really blind. We think we're strong and we're really weak. We convince ourselves that we're healthy, but we're really sick and infected deep in the core of our hearts with sin. Father, we need you. You're the only one that can change us. Father, we ask you to forgive us because we've been so busy trying to make a point instead of making a difference. Because we formed our opinions from government legislation and culture and family instead of from your word. Father, forgive us for only loving the people that love us and agree with us instead of by the power of your Holy Spirit loving everyone and showing no favoritism to anyone just as Jesus Christ loved us. Forgive us, Lord, for our prayerlessness. The times that we have not prayed for our president, our representatives, our senators, our governor, our elected officials, the way that you instructed us to. Father, I pray that for this church family, this would be a, a new dawn of living out daily your word, not just to talk it, but that we would live it out and that we would be the bearers of hope for those that cannot find hope in our nation today and that we would show them there is a different way when we live as children of God in the way that Christ Jesus showed us. When he prayed that prayer, not my will, but God, your will be done. And he laid his life down for us all for the forgiveness of our sins and rose again three days later. May we live the way he instructed us to, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him and his example. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.